You're listening to the Kicking Out Podcast, a weekly pro wrestling podcast focused around All Elite Wrestling, hosted by Tanner Lee and Paul Zartman, two passionate All Elite Wrestling fans. If you like what you hear, please click subscribe and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Kicking Out Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels. Enjoy the show. It's Thursday night. You know what that means. Another episode of the Kicking Out Podcast. I'm Tanner Lee, along with Paul Zartman. Paul, are you a fan of death matches? You know, I have not seen any, honestly. Uh, true ones. I've seen highlights and stills, but I've never never fully seen one from start to finish yet. I know. I'm, I'm I'm in the same camp. I haven't either, but I think I'm going to have to go back and watch some old footage of a few of them, especially the one involving Terry Funk from the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Not very many of them have uh, gone on, but I hear we're getting an exploding barbed wire death match. You got it. It's kind of a mouthful there, but... Uh, it is. We, we will get into that, that and much more from last night's AEW Dynamite. But first, I got to let you all know what happened on this day throughout pro wrestling history on February 18th. Let's do it. Um, let me pull this up real quick. And all right. Well, on this day, February 18th, 1996, there was a show called In Your House 6. You remember, Paul, when they used to do the In Your House pay-per-views? You know, I never got to watch any of Well, I got to watch one of them at a buddy of mine's house, but uh, never got to really watch them. But I do remember them very well. I watched them growing up when I got into wrestling on VHS tape. I would go to the store and rent them when they were like two years past, but... I didn't know any better when I was younger. I just enjoyed watching. Nostalgia. Yep. On yep. tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going to Blockbuster or, uh, you know, those types of stores. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, a guy named Razor Ramon, or as a lot of people know him as Scott Hall, defeated the one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman. A lot of people know him as X-Pac in a crybaby match. Yes. I, uh, I've heard about this match. Of course, my favorite was when the one, two, three kid beat Razor Ramon for the title, but uh, that's not what you're referring to. No, no, it's not. But uh, uh, yeah, the crybaby match. It's I, I have never heard of this match. I'm, I might have to go check it out on the network. So, also Hunter Hearst Helmsley, HHH before he was Triple H, defeated a guy named Dumpster. <laughs> Oh, Dumpster. I remember Dumpster. You got to love the early 90s to mid 90s, some of the gimmicks and the nicknames that were getting thrown around the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. Uh, you know, little flashback to Triple H. Um, he originally started as Terra Rising and then became Jean Paul Levesque and then Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Triple H now. Yep. And then he got the nickname The Game. Yep. King of Queens, three ball assassin. 
whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, look at Paul spitting some facts there. Hey, I was a big Triple H fan. What can I say? You know, I got to say, I mean, he, he was great as a heel. I never got really into Triple H. I don't know why. DX was my Triple H. Okay. Uh, original DX, not steroid DX. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, speaking of original DX, Shawn Michaels defeated Owen Hart to earn the title shot at WrestleMania 12 on this day in 1996. I did not realize that. Yes, and there's a graphic from that match. Uh, before before Owen's tragic event, yes. Before yes. they switched Owen Hart, even. Yes, yes. It was before he became partners with Jeff Jarrett and had the blue blazer gimmick and all that. Yep. Um, one of the greatest wrestlers ever to not win the world title. And then the main event of that show that night saw Bret Hart retain his WWF championship against Diesel in a steel cage match. Ooh, Diesel. <laughs> a lot of people uh, forget Kevin Nash was Diesel for a while, I think. Yeah, he's he's probably more known definitely for his WC, WCW days and founding the NWO and part of the Outsiders with Scott Hall. But uh, a little known fact about this match, this is what was the tipping point and in le- in led to him leaving to World Championship Wrestling. It was this match. He was unhappy with how everything was laid out and portrayed in this match. Yeah, I seem to think uh, a lot of people were upset with uh, some matches and went to WCW. And they were paying some big bucks back then, too. Yes, they were. Turner was just, Ted Turner was just throwing the cash around, and for good reason back then, and it accomplished what he wanted for a while, and then it went downhill and was never able to recover. Yeah, once it started going downhill, I mean, they just, once WW at the time, F beat them the first time in the rankings, I think that was the end of them. On this day in uh, 2001, WCW held their second to last pay-per-view ever. It was titled Super Brawl Revenge. And the main event that night saw Scott Steiner defeat Kevin Nash in a two out of three falls loser leaves WCW match. He won by technical submission to retain the WCW World Heavyweight title. Something that doesn't happen too much these days. No, it doesn't at all. You don't see two out of three falls, and you don't see stipulations like loser leaves so-and-so company. But here's a look at the uh, cover art on, I believe, a VHS. You have uh, Diamond Dallas Page, Scott Steiner, and Kevin Nash on the front. And on the back, uh, some of the matches on the card, of course, Kevin Nash and Scott Scott Steiner, like I said. You had Diamond Dallas Page in the late canyon. Um, I can't read what kind of match that was, but you you had Dustin Rose against Rick Steiner. You had Rey Mysterio Jr. against Chavo Guerrero, Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare versus Sean Stasiak and Mark Jindrick. And then you had Shane Helms, Shannon Moore, um, Jamie Noble. Uh, I cannot read those other names. The font's too small for me. My eyes are too bad. So, yeah. So, do do you remember the late days of WCW 2001? I do. uh, When they were overrun by the NWO. And, I mean, everything was – it was NWO versus WCW. And I think that was one of the things that kind of – did them in is when they tried to split WCW into two different entities. Um, I vaguely remember starting to watch as NWO started out as two guys, then became three, then more, then more, then more. And it's just, I've enjoyed the original NWO 
Um, I think if they would have stuck with it, I think WCW would have stuck around a little bit longer. Well, I, I remember growing up, I mean, when I was young, I, I remember watching when it was black and red and black and white. And I liked them both. I had shirts of both. I liked them both. Um, looking back now, I definitely, if I was older, would have picked a side probably. But um, And then a lot of people forget they tried to reboot the NWO in 2000 with the NWO, NWO 2000. Yes. Yeah. Didn't that, work. No, no. That was terrible. Didn't work. And then lastly, on this day in 2007, the WWE held a paper event called No Way Out. And uh, that was main event. The headline that night was Batista and Undertaker in a tag match versus John Cena and HBK, which John Cena and HBK would be victorious in that one. Yes, uh, I remember No Way Out. Yes, that was uh, on the road to WrestleMania 23, which would see John Cena defeat HBK and The Undertaker defeat Batista. So it was interesting. You had both main event opponents tagging together. Yeah, and uh, this was after uh, Raw and SmackDown had split and kind of started that Raw versus SmackDown rivalry, wasn't it? Yep, and we still had ECW was in the fold because we saw Bobby Lashley face Mr. Kennedy for the ECW World Championship. Yeah. Then the WWE Tag Team titles were on the line, and London and Kendrick faced Deuce and Domino. That's a team I completely had forgot about. <laughs> uh, then we saw the Hardys and Chris Benoit versus Eminem and MVP. Yep. And then uh, Diva Talents Invitational. Also saw Finley and the Little Bastard against Boogeyman and Little Boogeyman. Keen Booker versus Kane. Yeah. Whole bunch. Yes. And uh, interesting. I don't know if you saw this. And uh, so I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. Uh, Apparently there's talk of a reality show from WWE to find the next Undertaker. Really? I have not seen that or heard that. Yeah, I uh, I saw it a little bit ago. Um, I'm hoping it's kind of a, a fan thing and it's not legit. But I don't know. I would think it's got to be a fan thing. You're never going to find another Mark Calloway. No. And I mean, if they, in my opinion, they already have the next Undertaker. Uh, Character-wise, Bray Wyatt as the Fiend. If they ever do anything with him. I thought a few years ago they could have made Alistair Black pretty close to not not to what the Undertaker is, but kind of similar, and, and they blew right. it. They blew it. So. Yeah, I think both of them would be perfect to kind of carry on that role. Maybe not have the streak again, or do it somewhere else than WrestleMania. But those two definitely fit that kind of Undertaker persona. Enough about talking about that company. Let's get into the company we really enjoy, All Elite Wrestling. Let's break down some Being the Elite, episode 243, titled Dior. (laughs) And it begins, like it does every week, with the Young Bucks. But this week, the Young Bucks are joined by SCU and Rick Knox. They're in the Atlanta airport as they're waiting to get on a flight to Jacksonville. They were told that they lost their pilots because they had to be on another flight. Matt says they're concerned about making the, they're considering making the drive at that point Uh, over the PA. It's announced they'll be able to board their flight very soon. Then Matt and Scorpio Sky are talking about seeing Air Jordan Dior sneakers out in the wild. And these (laughs) things can run expensive. I mean, I'm talking about around $10,000 and higher. Um, Yeah. The, the image they kept using was over or right at or over 11,000. 
And Matt kept complaining that these were dirty ones, and he really wanted to ask the guy if he could clean them up. Yeah, and uh, Scorpio, there was the head nod that Matt talked about, and Scorpio knew what he was talking about without knowing. Those two are sneakerheads, for sure. Yes, they are. And, you know, I've, I'm not a sneaker collector. I have owned, I think, two pairs of Air Jordans back when I used to play basketball. But there are some people that are serious, serious Air Jordan collectors, and it's incredible, the collections out there. I have never had a pair of Air Jordans. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're nice. I mean, they're comfortable, but it's a pair of sneakers, in my opinion. You know, it's just the, it's the name. It's the brand. So. Yep. Uh, then we see a recap of Matt Hardy's uh, history with Private Party. We then see Private Party lose their title match at Impact No Surrender this past Saturday in a match that involved Chris Saban and uh, James Storm and the Good Brothers, Gallows and Anderson, which Gallows and Anderson retained their titles. Hardy was not happy with his guys after the loss. We hear both Casty and Quinn leave voicemails for Hardy. Yeah, it was an interesting segment, and I thought it was setting up for something much bigger on AEW, but we'll talk about that coming up. Then we see uh, Alex Reynolds and Johnny Hungy, John Silver of the Dark Order, going to check the rafters to see if they can find Steen, finding find where he hangs out. Silver then points out and sees the Chaos Project sitting nearby, but for whatever reason, he thinks it's Darby Allen and Sting. Then I know your favorite, Luther, he's there talking about Sting the singer. And he begins singing Roseanne instead of Roxanne. And they try to correct him, but Luther starts yelling at the duo and they quickly leave. And upon leaving, Johnny still says, you know, oh man, I can't believe we found both Sting and Darby. It was typical Dark Order. I love those two uh, on BTE. They need to get their own podcast going uh, or vlog, I guess would be the better one. Um, Yeah, those two just, have magic together on screen. Silver's got his own YouTube channel going now, The Meat Man. Yep. So they did a funny uh, reenactment of uh, uh, Anchorman when when all four are seeing all four of the cast members. So it's pretty good. Go check it out if you haven't already. So and backstage, we see Brandon Cutler saying hey to the bunny and Penelope Ford. They're playing Animal Crossing and wearing sweatshirts with their uh, houses from Harry Potter. The bunny has a Gryffindor, while uh, Penelope Ford has a Slytherin. Cutler is super nice to their faces, but as he walks away, he calls them uh, filthy mudbloods, Ravenclaws, where it's at. The two hear him and aren't happy. Yeah, that's a whole other fandom we're not going to get into right now because we could be here for three or four hours. Yeah, we could get on a tangent and, and, and run, run way past our time, so... We then get another Dark Order bit. The Dark Order is happy to see Alex Abrahantes drinking the purple drink. Alex's friends then show up, Sammy Guevara. I believe Dasha. I think she's the girl there. Yeah. And, and Proud and Powerful, Santana and Ortiz show up. And they battle with the Dark Order, kind of like a, a Cobra Kai, Karate Kid type style. The Dark Order ends up winning the battle at first, but the spirit of Vicky Guerrero inspires them to keep fighting. Ortiz finish off finishes off Abrahantes and the Dark Order has to retreat. Wouldn't you get up and fight if you had Vicky yelling at you too? Yes, just to make her kind of be quiet because her voice is so loud and annoying. Yes, exactly. She's great as a, as a character, don't get me wrong. She's oh yeah, great I love adds, her character. But And she was on the latest AEW Unrestricted podcast and she did a fantastic job on that episode. But yeah, her voice would I'd just be like... <laughs> yeah, in character, uh-uh. Yep. Otherwise she's fine. 
Then we see the Dark Order in their hangouts. Uh, Evil Uno doesn't get why Hangman Page, what Hangman Page sees in Matt Hardy and not them. They try to figure out what the reason is, but can't come up with an answer. Anna Jay finally says they are better on without Page, and the group seems to agree. Yeah, and I got to say, uh, that whole segment, I I shouldn't have watched that at work because I was laughing way too hard. <laughs> I'm sure if anybody would have walked into the building, they would have been wondering exactly what was going on because everything, it was different this week because, you know, normally we get the big FU to five. Um, we didn't get that this week. We got uh, other things. <laughs> yeah. Five uh, found the email from Heyman Page. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my response back. Apparently, I didn't make the cut. Give him time. He has like 300,000 to review. So Yeah, and ma- hopefully he continues now that he found Hangman's. We then saw the Vicious Vixen editions. auditions were being held as we saw Scorpio Sky, Griff Garrison, some others dance for Vicky Guerrero and, and Nyla Rose. Uh, do you know who the first guy was that walked up by chance? I don't. Okay, because... Uh, uh, did he ever move really nope. or did he just stand there? He the stood whole time? there pretty much. Okay. But yeah, I mean, we saw Scorpio, Griff Garrison, um, Johnny Hungy even showed up. Yep. Uh, trying to think who else we saw. I just put some other guys because I, yeah, I couldn't remember. So yeah, we'll see where that goes. I don't, I don't know about that bit, but keep watching, see what happens. Um, I'm okay with the dancing, but I could do without Vicky and Naya. Yep. The camera then catches Brenda Cutler sleeping at an airport. Nick Jackson tells a story of how they almost missed a flight because Cutler fell asleep. They didn't know where he was, and he wouldn't pick up the phone. Yeah, leave it to Brandon Cutler to be asleep in the middle of an airport. At least he was not standing up this time. Good point. Then we get to the final bit. See Sammy Guevara uh, defend the, or Sammy Guevara says he's going to defend the BTE championship on his vlog. Cutler tries to tell him it's the BTE championship and should be defended only on being the elite. But Guevara says it will only be defended on his vlog, which it was. It looked like 10 beat Sammy in a handstand to only find out it was Chris Statlander impersonating 10. So Sammy's hang on to the title for another week. Uh, You're muted. Paul, there you go. Oh, there we go. Ah, <laughs> I didn't realize I pushed it the wrong <laughs> way. Um, yeah, I was excited uh, for ten disqualification on his behalf, but I was excited to see Statlander. Um, I mean, it shows she's almost ring ready. Yeah, yeah, and I did not realize she was a former gymnast until they were talking about it. I didn't either. That was definitely the the giveaway. Yep. Yeah, let's get into recapping last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. It was live from Daly's Place on February 17th, 2021. Show kicks off with a tag team match of Heyman, Adam Page, and Matt Hardy versus TH2. I know they're one of your favorites, Paul. I got to be honest, I've never quite got into them. I know they're talented, but I've never really bought into them just quite yet. Um you even kind of admitted you thought this was one of their sloppier matches. Yeah, the was not impressed with them. Um, I I don't know if it was there wasn't the chemistry with them and Hangman and Matt or what it was, but definitely some stuff missing. Yeah, the match was definitely not the focal point. It was more of the aftermath of the match, but 
During the match towards the end, Jack Evans tries for a Phoenix splash and he completely messes it up, barely hitting Matt Hardy. And then we see Adam Hainman page with a double buckshot lariats on both guys. Hardy hits the twist of fate on Angelico. One, two, three. And post-match, we got some good stuff. Yeah, the post-match, Matt Hardy gets on the mic. He says, uh, hey, man, Paige has been looking. He looks like a million bucks. He's got to make a lot of easy money. Of course, big money Matt says he's got to make 30% of it, and he will be making money too. Uh, He's very happy that Paige decided to sign with him. Paige says, (laughs) I love this, that he uh, had some friends who once told him to keep an extra set of papers up his sleeve. Heyman then says that Matt should have looked at those papers a little closer. Hardy says he just sent them over to the lawyers. He didn't need to look at them. Heyman says, has the Jaguars mascot come out with the papers in hand that Hardy signed. Hardy reads it over and says it's not for a talent management contract, but it's for a match at Revolution. And if Heyman wins, he'll earn all of Hardy's first quarter earnings. Hardy calls Paige Cardi. He then says, Adam, you're an honorable man. He asked Paige to also put up his earnings, in which Paige responds that we may have a money match. Hardy yeah. then, then tells Paige that he's finished as they shake hands. Isaiah Cassidy reveals that he, he was in the mascot costume and he attacks Hangman from behind. Hardy tells TH2 will pay them $3,700 to beat up Hangman Page. Then the Dark Order, well, it, it's led by Johnny Hungy and Alex Reynolds lead the charge. The negative one comes out waving all the rest to come out. Stu Grayson, five, ten, Cole Cabana. They come out to make the save. Page nearly hits a buckshot Larry on Matt Hardy, but he ducks and runs off with Isaiah Cassidy. Now, did you catch Colt Cabana trying to hit everybody with the shoe? Yes, he took the shoe off of Isaiah on the mascot costume, was smacking everybody around, and became a social viral gift today on Twitter. Yeah, of course, uh, I was a little disappointed. Um, I was talking to my dad today, and he goes, so I see Okada showed up last night and took a Jaguar helmet off. And I went, what? When did that happen? And somehow, apparently, somebody took the still of Isaiah and put Okada in it. (laughs) I didn't see that. I didn't either, and he couldn't find it, but he swears up and down it's what happened. Yeah, I'll have to go look look for that after the show, but... I like this segment a lot. I really like that Dark Order came out and saved Heyman. I I really like where this is progressing. The one thing I was confused by was why would uh, – well, Matt Hardy must have known about the contract because Isaiah was in the Jaguars mascot costume. Yeah, I think he knew about it, uh, but wanted to play it off as like, uh, what, what, what do you mean? Just so yeah. that they could set up Hangman for this. And I didn't think about that until today, because then I'm like, wait a second. Why would he have been in the Jaguars costume if Matt didn't know? So, yeah. So, Or maybe it was his way of, hey, you ain't called us back yet. Look, here's me showing you that we are sorry. Yeah, that could be too. So it was interesting. We did not see Mark Quinn in the segment. So we will see where this goes. Then we get a backstage segment. Santana and Ortiz are talking about tonight will be their first title shot match after being in the company for 18 months. Didn't realize that until they said that I thought they had had a previous shot at the titles. So did I. I even went back and was trying to find where they had had a previous title shot. And nope, they've never had one. Yep. And they said the reason for that is because uh, everybody fears them. Pretty much that's the reason. MJF then takes the mic and still wants an apology from Sammy Guevara about what happened last week. Chris Jericho tells MJF to shut up and that we all saw MJF goading Sammy week after week into this. Jericho says some of this is MJF's fault, but most of it's Sammy's fault. 
Jericho says, ultimately, Guevara's stupidest decision, it was the stupidest decision he's ever made quitting the inner circle and that he's dead to Jericho. Jericho then hypes up Santana and Ortiz about tonight's title match, saying they're going to bring the gold back to the inner circle. I I know it was a previous company, but I just wanted Jericho to say, Sammy, you just made the list. That would have been classic I mean, or, or come up with a new version of, of saying yeah. that. I mean, it the look was that you just made the list look. So I definitely wanted to see something happen um, apart from you're dead to me. So I'm interested to see where this goes. They still need they need to keep Sammy off TV for a little while. But I think it's good that they're still mentioning him, making us, you know, sure he's still in the back of our minds. Yeah, you know, he got a lot of heat this week, so he had to go roll in some snow to cool off. Legendary. Legendary on his vlog. Only only Samuel Guevara would do that. Yes, only him. We then got a really good women's match. Saw NWA Women's World Champion Serena D versus Riho in the AEW Women's Title Eliminator Tournament match. Uh, Rio's first match with AEW in 11 months. Um, commentary was noting that Deeb tweaked her knee recently, and we saw Rio go right after the knee early. We saw Serena Deeb return the favor and go after Rio's knee later in the match. This match, there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of mat work from both the wrestlers. Towards the end, each wrestler's trying to go for a pin, counter, 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 back and forth, back and forth, until Rio finally gets the three count and moves on where she will face Thunder Rosa, which will be a heck of a semifinal match. Yeah, I um, was really impressed with this match. Uh, Serena really got to kind of show what she's made of. I mean, we knew Riho could do all that stuff, but you haven't really seen Serena do too much of what she was doing tonight or last night. So it was definitely something interesting to watch. I enjoyed the match from start to finish. I kind of came up with an analyzation that when AEW is really confident, they have a really banner of a women's match. They put in the 830 slot. When they have one they're not so sure of, they kind of bury it in the 930 slot. I can kind of get behind that. I know honestly. that's that's new. We've only seen really two women's matches in the 830 slot. Yeah. Both of them have been awesome. And they've been nonstop, and they've gone almost the entire time limit. So we'll see if that trend continues after this tournament's over. But uh I still think, I still think we're going to see Britt Baker win this and challenge Sheeta at Revolution for the title. At least, well, let me say this: I at least think the winner is going to be from the American side. I'd be surprised if it came from the, the from the Japanese side. You know, I can get behind. Um, I definitely don't think that they're going to have somebody from the Japanese side win it. Um, it wouldn't make much sense because then the title is going to spend more time over there especially right now now if this is pre-covid i could definitely see one of them winning it because they could come back and forth but right now mm, not possible did you watch any of the japanese side of the tournament on monday on on youtube i did not i totally forgot about it uh, i even told, reminded you about it but then i forgot about it i watched bitch and pieces i can't say i watched an entire match it was just it was hard to, for me to watch because it was just Empty, I mean, just a very empty, like, recording studio pretty much with a referee. And But I thought Excalibur did a fantastic job on commentary, like he always yeah. does. I saw, or I saw, I heard uh, both JR and Tony complimenting him left and right on his commentary during that. So, yeah. I mean, that's awesome for him. I mean, he's always great, but he's never 
the play-by-play. And this Monday, we're going to have two of the American side matches on YouTube. That's um, Ty Conte against Nyla Rose and um, and uh, Britt Baker against... Anna J. Anna J. Thank you. I was having a mind blank. I was like, dark order, <laughs> dark order, dark order. Yep. Yep. Both should be good matches. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting because I thought yeah. Britt and Nyla would win, but will they have heel versus heel to go against each other in the, in the second round? I don't know. And Ty's been building up a lot of She's number three in the lately. rankings. Yeah. I mean, I'd be interested. Being number three, her taking a loss wouldn't be a bad thing. Um but do we really, like you said, do we really want heel versus heel? That match is more up in the air to me than Britt versus Anna Jay. I think Britt's not going to lose Anna Jay. No, sadly. No, she won't. Not right now in their careers. So We then, uh, I think this was your favorite match of the night, Paul. We get uh, Luther with Sir Pitigo against Orange Cassidy Wick with Chuck Taylor. This was a pretty short match, but I did tweet out from our account that Luther was getting too much offense in because he started the match off by uh, ripping Orange Cassidy's shirt off, and then he hit a move or two, and Sir Pitico hit a move. Uh, the two made it to the apron, though, and then Cassidy slipped under and hit a rough-looking powerbomb to the floor on Luther. Um, Sir Pitico slipped in the ring for an attack, but Chuck Taylor nailed him with an Oh, crazy looking awful waffle. Then he rolled him out of the ring. Orange Cassie rolled back into the ring. Luther gets back in and walks right into an orange punch for the cover. And that was that. Yeah. Uh, shortest match of the night. Um, honestly. And I won't say my favorite match, but <laughs> I, I do enjoy watching Luther get beat up. Yes. Don't we all? So I'm so, I know, I know he's friends with Jericho. He's a veteran, but I think he's fine on dark. I don't like him taking TV time away from some other talents that are struggling to get TV time, like as Scorpio Sky, for instance. Well, we got an announcement that I think is going to fix that, and we'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. We will. One thing I forgot to mention before this match, we got a video package shown of Jay Cargill doing some training and shooting hoops with Shaq. The two, of course, are going to meet against Cody Rhodes and Red Velvet on the March 3rd edition of Dynamite. Yeah, and with that video package, you know, you text me about it, like, okay, so she can shoot hoops. I think they're really trying to push this fact that she is this superior, supreme athlete, and she can do it all. I think you're right. Um, but earlier in the show, they made it sound like we were going to get training video of Shaq in the ring. That well, I mean, Shaq's training to this point has been shooting hoops, so yeah. They didn't exactly lie. I did have to laugh, though. They showed video of him hitting a free throw, and he's one of the worst free throw shooters in NBA history. His career average, I looked it up today, was 52.6% from the free throw line. <laughs> wow. So I'm like, and, of course, they show him hitting a free throw. So. <laughs> well, of course, they're not going to show anybody in that package missing a single shot. Uh, you're right. You're right. So Jay looks impressive. I just hope she delivers in the ring, but, of course, AEW must know ahead of time of what she can do in the ring have full confidence in her, so it should be interesting. Yeah, they know something we don't know, that's for sure. Then we get into one of the segments that everybody around the wrestling world was talking about last night. Taz, Brian Cage, and Hook make their way to the ring. They call out Steen, and the man, he comes out to the ring. It goes dark. The snow comes on. The music comes on, Steen's music, and he strolls out into the ring. Taz tells Steen that's the worst thing he could have done as he's outnumbered. He tells Steen that he needs that bat. He has needed it for years. 
We we then see Steen toss it aside, and he stares at Taz. Then he takes off his coat, throws it at Cage's face, and just starts swinging away. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Steen's getting physical. We then see Hook come and, and try to choke him out with the bat, but Steen kind of fights him off. Then that allows Brian Cage to get a, get in a kick, and then a big, vicious-looking powerbomb right in the middle of the ring. Steen stays down, and Taz Team Taz makes their way up to the stage. You know, I've seen – this go both ways of holy crap sting took a bump um i have watched him take this power bomb five different times now cage did it very well i gotta give cage props on this those two had to have kind of at least talked about this a little bit ahead of time uh just so cage kind of knew how to drop sting so it wouldn't hurt him as bad um but then, you know, you get the other side. Oh, well, uh, Tony Khan screwed Sting because he brought him back just to knock him out again like the other company did. And I'm like, no, no. No, I don't think that's the case. I was shocked that he took a bump like that because I didn't think he'd be taking bumps like that with his medical condition or the history of his medical conditions. But I got to ask you, you know, this was supposed to be a segment of all of Team Taz, but Will Hobbs, yeah. Power, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Starks couldn't make it due to weather. Do you no. think this was an alternative plan that they just came up with? And Steen's like, I'll take a bump. You know, I'm not sure. Uh, I want to say, yeah, it was the alternative plan. But I, at the same time, wonder if they were all going to jump him to begin with. Uh, you know, when he said he was calling him out, I even told you, I said, Steen's getting attacked. They're going to team tag or tag team him. It makes me more intrigued for the street fight than I was, I will admit. But at the same time, I hope I don't feel this way on March 7th. I was worried about Steen a little bit last night. I'm afraid if if this match is not cinematic, I'm still hoping it is. Because if it's not, I'm afraid I'm going to be too worried about Steen's health than concentrating on enjoying the match. And I, I, I don't want to have that uncomfortable feeling I had watching Night of Champions when he faced Seth Rollins back in 2015, I, I don't. I just don't want to. I don't want that uncomfortable feeling. That was just an uncomfortable match from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even texted you last night. I said, you know, I think Brian Cage did a better job than Seth Rollins did when it came to Sting. Um, I think Taz is going to work with them on how to handle him. But yeah, it, it's got to be cinematic, or otherwise, every Sting fan is going to be sitting there more worried about, you know, is he going to be able to get up tomorrow? Is that the end of Sting? What's going on? Yeah, it's good. It, I just, they got to make it cinematic. It just, it, it'll take everybody's focus away from the match and, and we'll really be worrying. I mean, Steen's 62 years old. I mean, we can't, I mean, th- that's bad enough. And then you put in the neck issues and everything. So spinal stenosis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but they, they, uh, Tony Schiavone last night on the post game show, the AW post game show said he's okay. So good. Well, I'm, I'm glad. That's good. Glad. glad to hear he's good. Then we got a back, backstage segment with Eddie Kingston. Of course, he's the man on the mic. Um, he's talking about how he wanted tonight's tag team match because he requested it against Lance Archer, Ray Phoenix, and John Moxley. He talks about the history he's had with each guy, noting Moxley is the demon he needs to get rid of the most. Kingston says pills, drinks, nor women will get rid of him. Only beating Moxley will do that. Yeah, another good promo from Eddie. I mean, I have tried to find something bad to say about an Eddie promo, but I I can't find anything. Um, He is definitely the king on the mic. I got to say it. 
He is. He is. Then we get another uh, kind of cheesy but funny and fitting back uh, earlier today segment with Kenny Omega talking to a classroom of kids, and he's reading them the book. It's actually the Young Bucks autobiography. Don Callis and Michael Nakazawa are next to him. Um, Alex Marvez, of course, just pops up out of nowhere, and Callis is like, really? Here? Like, I, I love how they're doing that with Marvez, just popping up out of nowhere all the time. Can we see Don Callis getting him served for, like, stalking or something? <laughs> uh, he tries to ask a question, but he's immediately told to stay to the side. Omega then reads about his match against Chris Jericho at the New Japan um, and how business went up drastically. But he literally just read, like, a sentence. Callis then says Omega has to go. He has tons of business to do. And we saw a new lady I've never seen in the shot, and she seemed like she was kind of Kenny's PR guy. Because or keep PR gal because she said this yeah. is going to be good for PR. Right. See, at first when they first showed her, I went, "Oh, there's the teacher of the class." Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, then the PR talk, I'm I'm confused now. Yep. Yep. Um, but Omega then checked with uh, checked with her to see if his popularity is going up. The kids want to play with Kenny, um, but Don says Kenny doesn't have time. He says Nakazawa will play with them. The kids all say we hate Nakazawa, and they pile up and beat him up. They sure beat Nakazawa up to kind of sum up what Tony said. I did have to laugh at the one kid's comment about the cover of the book, asking, are, yeah. they, in, are they in love because just are how they? they're looking at each other? And Kenny says, well, they're brothers, so I'm sure they love each other very much. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice little thing. Um, little slip-up leading into that, but we'll we'll let that go. It's live television. Those things happen. Yeah, we'll give JR a pass. I gave, I gave him a little... Hard time. I just tweeted. I thought maybe I heard it wrong, and then I'm like, "Yeah, nope, I didn't nope. hear that wrong." Nope. And see, my TV is about uh, five seconds behind yours. So as your text's coming in, I'm like, uh, "Nope, nope, he didn't." Nope. Happened, but it was a big oops. But forget about it, move on. So, speaking of the Young Bucks, though, they were defending their tag team titles against Santana and Ortiz. Fun match. Very fun match. Uh, we saw the Young Bucks' parents, Papa Buck and Mama Buck, at ringside, as are the rest of the inner circle. During the match, we saw Omega, Callis, and the Good Brothers all looking on from backstage. The Young Bucks took control of the match early. Uh, then um, a little little ways into the match, we saw Ortiz and Santana hit a swinging neck breaker on Nick. MJF tried to get involved, but uh, Rick Knox sent all the inner circle to the back. Nick Jen, uh, towards the end of the match, sends Ortiz out to the floor. The Young Bucks go for the BT trigger, but miss, and their knees collide. That had to hurt a little bit. Uh, Santana then hit double cutters. Santana and Ortiz hit the street sweeper on Nick. Matt just barely breaks it up, which I think that was on accident. Yeah, um, I'm not sure exactly what happened there. I feel bad for Rick Knox. I mean, he had a Jackson on top of him, and that's not something you want to enjoy. I mean, that I don't think Rick Knox knew Matt was going to be flying across the ring on top of him. Yeah, he, um, I think, I think the timing was just off. I think Matt just got in there a little late. Yeah, I mean, he seemed to really jump further than he normally would for a break. So, yeah, I think he totally forgot where he was at in the match and where he needed to be, or maybe something really was bothering him outside of the ring that stopped him from getting in a little sooner. We then see Ortiz throw Matt into the barricade. Santana and Ortiz then powerbomb him into the ring, ringside crowd. Ortiz then gets up on the apron and yells, 
the best like a million times in the crowd over and over again. Then he heads into the ring, but Nick rolls him up for the one, two, three. And you sent me a text right as he did that about uh, AEW seeming to be on this roll-up kick here lately. And like I said, it's a good move every once in a while. Yeah, it's getting a little stale. I, I don't like it in my tag team title match. I'm sorry. I thought the match was good until the finish. I just didn't care for the finish. Yeah, um, I think it should have been something else, you know, a tag team move into a pin. That's what I want to see. Then after the match, we saw the inner, inner circle immediately attack Matt and Nick uh, in the backstage area. Kenny wants to go help, but Don Callis is holding him off. Um, he says he has an idea. He whispers something to Anderson and, and Gallows, the good brothers, of course, and they head off. Brandon Cutler tries to help, but he's dropped on the stage by Jake Hager. Jericho and MGF each apply a submission to the brothers. Uh, the good brother, and, and they both tap out, actually. They're tapping out. The good brothers finally casually make their way into the ring, and the inner circle just decides to head out. Jericho then talks some trash to Papa, Papa Buck and gets shoved away. MGF calls him a old piece of crap or a sack of crap or something and says he'll pay for that. Yeah, they, they bleeped something out there that came out of MJF's mouth or out of Jake Hager's, one of the two. And uh, JR apologized for, for whatever was said. And he said, sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen because it's live television. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, I think that the post-match was probably my favorite part of the whole match, honestly. Did you notice what I noticed? Uh, which one? Santana and Ortiz were not involved in the beatdown at all. Yes, I did notice that. Uh, they kind of were just off to the side a little bit. Um, you know, one thing I I still cannot get behind Ortiz. Well, Ortiz was doing a good job selling the loss. He was devastated. Yeah. Santana went to consult him. That's what I like about AEW. The little details like that, they really show that character growth. Yeah, um, I'm hoping that Ortiz can grow on me, but so far, he's just been too loud and obnoxious for me. Um, I'm hoping, though. I do like when Santana Ortiz work the style of match like they did last night when they're heavy hitters. Oh, yeah. I love them inside the ring. Um, they they know how to wrestle. They definitely are going to hold those titles at some point in the near future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good match overall. Um, I I was wrong. I thought I thought we'd see a swerve and they would take the titles off the Bucks and we'd see Bucks and Good Brothers at Revolution and the whole tag team against you know Inner Circle colliding. But uh, nope. And of course, I thought the way uh, the Bucks would retain would be the Good Brothers interfering. So yep. we were kind of both wrong on that one. Then we get a bas- backstage segment. Brandy Rhodes saying she wants to do a general reveal on tonight's show. Brandy says she's the only person to know if it's a boy or a girl. Cody doesn't even know because he has got too big of a mouth. Can't keep his mouth shut. Uh, then they we see them both come out, and the fireworks go off, and we see the screen. It's a girl. The fireworks were pink. Cody and Brandy, Brandy kiss and celebrate a little bit after hearing the news. Then Cody heads to commentary as the next match is going to come up. Yeah, I really, um, I'm happy for Cody and Brandy. I did not realize that the fireworks were pink, though. Honestly, they look. I thought they were purple. Me. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, it just looked like part of Cody's regular entrance. I know, I know. <laughs> um, 
We then do get an announcement when Cody's on commentary that we're going to have a face of Revolution ladder match at Revolution with the winner getting a shot at the TNT Championship. Six wrestlers will be in the ladder match. Now so far as Cody Rhodes, Scorpio Sky, and Pinta L0M. Yeah, um, excited to see who else they get in there. And I even tweeted you about this shortly after they made that announcement. Um, I keep waiting for Cody to find a loophole and challenge for the AEW title, but I respect the crap out of him because he refuses to. I would, re- I mean, I, I like all three of these guys. They're all exciting to watch. So I'd be fine with any of them winning, especially Scorpio Sky. I think he's overdue for something like this. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the other. Um, participants in this match. It wouldn't surprise me if we get a surprise entrant. They usually like to bring somebody in, making a debut a debut on the pay-per-view. So that wouldn't shock me. I'd love to see Phoenix in this match. Um, maybe even somebody from the Dark Order, like 10, in this match would be fun. Uh, Miro, if he doesn't do something with Orange Cassidy um, or the best friends. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. There's a lot of guys they could put in this match, but six-man ladder match could deliver, and it's probably going to steal the show. Yeah, and, you know, I got to say, I didn't even think about it last night, and I just thought about it as you said it. Uh, Penta will be making his return at Revolution then because he's been out. Yep. So uh, we found out why, and I'm excited to see him back. Yep. Yep. Um, it'll be, we'll, we'll, I, hope, I hope we find out at least one or two more opponents, but they don't tell us all six beforehand. I, I want to see, I want to be a little bit surprised. Yeah. And they always seem to deliver on the surprises, like you said. So it'll sure be do. good. We then have a tag team match between FTR and the Seidel's. Matt and Mike Seidel. I was not aware of Mike Seidel until last week when this match was announced. Um, Tolly Blanchard isn't there tonight due to snow in San Antonio. Uh, one thing about this match I really enjoyed is the contradicting styles in the match. You had the heavy hitters and FTR and the high flyers of the Seidel's, but FTR is so good. They can adapt to their opponent's strengths and make them look really good. Um, towards the end of the match, we got we saw Mike hit a thrust kick on Dax Harwood. Matt then dra- drops Cash Wheeler for a two count. Matt and Mike uh, hit a roundhouse kick on Wheeler. Uh, Matt goes up top, double knees on both opponents. Mike has a rough tries to go for a moon salt and slips. I don't know what's up with the side slipping, especially on that left turnbuckle. Um, he goes for the cover, doesn't get it. Wheeler uh, puts a foot on the rope, I should say, for that cover. Uh, Matt then goes up to the top, but Hardwood trips him up, distracts Mike. Hardwood tags in to hit the big rig. Still love that name for their finisher for the one, two, three. FTR wins via pinfall. Well, we already know why the Seidel's keep slipping over there. It's Michael Nakazawa. He's ah, putting his right. baby oil all over there. There'll probably be a <laughs> bit on BT about that on Monday. It wouldn't shock yep. me at all. Would not shock me at all. And I really was hoping they were building up a feud between Matt and Michael Nakazawa, but nothing really ever came of it. So maybe we get it finally. I think we got a dark match between them. Yeah, but, but uh, it's I, dark. Yeah. Post-match, we saw Dr. Sampson get called into the ring, but FTR t- takes his medical kit, grabs the scissors. They're going to cut Mike Seidel's hair, but the lights go out, show Luchasaurus's old mask on the ground, and Luchasaurus is kind of in the background shadow. So I'm thinking, oh, he's got to get a brand-new mask. Like, what's this thing going to look like? But the lights come back on, and Jurassic Express is in the ring. Luchasaurus has a new-ish mask. Uh, he and Jungle Boy take out FTR with Marco Stunt cheering them on. Yeah, um... 
I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if it was JR or Tony, but one of the two said, Luchasaurus is without a mask now. And uh, so I thought, well, how are they going to play that character off without a mask? But uh, yeah, update to the previous mask. I think they're trying to kind of make that mask him somehow. And they've done a good job of it so far, but something definitely needs to happen a little bit different with that mask. Yeah. I wanted to see a different mask. I wanted to see new paint scheme or something. Um, wasn't the case. So, or like a cane type mask or something like, but green, I don't know, but they would, they would get Twitter would explode if they did that. Yes. And they would be accused of copying. So I think they're trying to avoid that. We then get graphics for next week's dynamite. We're going to get Adam Hangman page versus Isaiah Cassidy with Matt Hardy. That should be a good one. We're going to get the semifinals of the U S side of the women's bracket. Going to get Ricky Starks and Brian Cage with Taz and Hook versus the Varsity Blondes, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison. Jake Hager versus Brandon Cutler. And then on the March 3rd edition of Dynamite, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to get Cody Rhodes in Red Velvet with Arn Anderson versus Shaquille O'Neal and Jay Cargill. And also, and Paul, you called this on a previous pod, so i got to give you credit, FTR and Tully Blanchard making his first ring appearance since 2007 against Jurassic Express. And I said it then, and I'm going to say it again. Tully's got to take on Marco Stunt. There's no other way they make this work. Got to. Got to. Uh, he says he's in the best shape of his life. That's what he tweeted last night. He looks a little bit heavier than he used to when he was <laughs> younger, when I would consider him more at the peak. But okay, Tully. I will agree with you there. We then get a backstage segment with John Moxley. Nobody does it like Justin. Nobody can even replicate that. Uh, John Moxley says Eddie Kingston always has a stick up his ass and still has problems with all of his partners. Moxley says he still cares about Kingston, but will whoop him again. Moxley notes his February 26th match against Kenta and that he's he's then coming for Kenny Omega's AW World Championship. Yeah, Moxley and Kingston, I think, just need to have a battle on the mics. I mean, we started to see one. They did great then. I want to see a full-blown back and forth with these two. I want to see them take a break from each other and eventually reunite as tag team partners down the road. Well, yeah, yeah. That's what I want to see. And, I mean, okay, well, in that case, can you imagine those two cutting a promo together as a tag team? There's not enough mic time. (laughs) Exactly. We then get the main event of John Moxley, Ray Phoenix, and Lance Archer with Jake Roberts versus Eddie Kingston, the Butcher, and the Blade with the Bunny. I liked how Archer, Phoenix, and Moxley each made separate entrances from different parts of the arena. I thought that was pretty neat. And then all joined up in one spot and went straight into the ring. Did you catch Jake's shirt, though? No. Okay. Jake the Snake wearing a shirt that says, Snakes Eat Bunnies. <laughs> Oh, man. Of course he would wear something like that. Exactly. Leave it to Jake to do something like that. And then the fans got to figure out if he means, you know, which way. One, Yeah. How, how are you going to how do you gonna, uh, take that? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of high flying action in this match, of course, from Phoenix. The guy is just so Oof. dang good. I can watch Ray Phoenix matches all the time. I want to see him in the world heavyweight title picture, or if not the TNT title picture, because he's so entertaining. I mean, he's entertained with his brother too, but 
as a singles act, he's incredible. You know, I kind of a dream match here. Ray Phoenix as he is now and Ray Mysterio Jr. at his prime. Man, man. Could you imagine Ray Phoenix now back in the WCW days of the Cruiserweights? Like Eddie Guerrero, Ray Mysterio. I'll even throw Billy Kidman in there. Yep. Chris Jericho. Man. Man. Yeah. Uh, we saw Archer doing some high flying moves. I I love uh, Babyface Lance Archer. I never thought I'd say that. I thought he'd yeah. be better as a heel, but I like this Babyface Archer. Um, he looked really strong in the match last night. Towards the end of the match, we saw Moxley lock in a bulldog on Kingston, but Blade broke it up. Uh, the two are then thrown out by Archer and Phoenix. Archer then choke slams Phoenix down on both guys and hits a cannonball senton on Blade and Butcher. Back in the ring, Moxley and Kingston are going at it. Uh, Kingston hits a spinning back flips back fist on Moxley, but Moxley kind of just takes it and then hits a big lariat, then a, a nasty looking paradigm shift in the cover for the one, two, three. Yes, that was the whole match. I mean, I it was like last week's main event. I didn't want to look away because the moment you do, you're going to miss something somewhere. Yeah, it was uh, main events just keep on hitting. I mean, I wanted to stay off my phone. Didn't want to miss anything. Yeah. Um, then post-match, mm-hmm. we saw Moxley celebrating yeah. the win on, on the turnbuckle. He looks at the camera and suddenly gets attacked by the Good Brothers. The two hold Moxley as Kenny Omega comes out with a mic, says cut his music. Omega shows Moxley some papers and and sees that Moxley slipped in a rematch clause. Omega says he's been giving – he'll give it to him at Revolution, but he's picking the match. He said in Tony Khan, that was his Valentine's Day present to Kenny Omega was to pick the stipulation of the match. Omega then announces an exploding barbed wire death match for the title. Moxley then ends up headbutting Omega, actually splitting them open. Omega gets mad, hits two nasty-looking V-triggers. Omega um, then tells Moxley he'll never get the title, says to hit, him, hit his music, and he poses in the ring as the show comes to a close. Yeah, um... I think Kenny's sunglasses played a factor in him getting busted open because I think Mox just hit him in the wrong spot. Uh, I don't think Mox meant to bust him open, Um, but, hey, it's live television. Anything can happen. Headbutts hurt. Headbutts are hard contact to each other. So yeah, how how excited are you for this barbed wire match? Well, I'm definitely more excited than Moxley's wife. (laughs) <laughs> can't blame her with the baby on the way yeah the the tweet she sent out you sent it to me afterwards uh yeah she is not happy about this match at all but me on the other hand i'm excited for it i cannot um, wait to see it um i would pay the price of the pay-per-view just for that match alone i'm very intrigued and anxious for it yeah a little uh, nervous a little nervous hope hope they got all the safety protocols i don't <laughs> want to see another matt hardy incident happened or anything, but I have faith in them. I think, I think though, I mean, this got to be a live match, right? Not a sim- oh, cinematic yeah. match. Oh, it'll be live. I'm sure. I mean, look at the last time these two faced off in any type of non-traditional wrestling match. There was a table made out of barbed wire that people got thrown through. We got thrown through light fixtures. We used poker, oversized poker chips. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Mouse traps, yeah, glass. Yeah, I, I think th- we'll see a little bit of it all in this match. 
Yeah, if we thought the Lights Out match at 2019 uh, Full Gear was intense, which saw Moxley beat Omega. That's why Omega's trying to get this win back. This is kind of a rubber match between the three because, of course, Omega beat him at winner is coming for the title. Um, if we thought that was intense, I think this they're going to raise the bar here a little bit on this one. Oh, yeah, because this is actually for gold, not just because they can. Yeah, and I'll save my more comments and predictions for our podcast in two weeks on March 4th because I do have some thoughts about this match, but I'll save it for then. I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, AEW won the ratings battle again this week. It was closer than I thought it would be, honestly, but then I got to thinking about it. Well, NXT was coming off – their takeover vengeance day pay-per-view and saw the undisputed era have a angle. So I couldn't, shouldn't have been that surprised, but AEW won by a count of 747,000 to 713,000. Yeah. Uh, I think that dead guy turning on his team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, an, so it's, I'm yeah. interested to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh they got intriguing stuff going on over there. I'll admit it. I'm not an NXT viewer, but, uh, I, I kind of know what storylines are, are going on, but uh, overall great for last night's Dynamite, Paul. Um, B plus. Okay. Um, again, just there's a few weak segments. Um, the Orange Cassidy Luther match was thrown together uh, yesterday. When I looked at the full card, it did not have that. We had an eight man tag match, and then we ended up with a tag regular tag match. And then this match, uh, not sure. I was hoping we were going to get an angle based off of private party losing. Uh, didn't see that. So I think if, if things would have stayed the way they were yesterday morning, I probably could have given it a little bit higher grade. I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to give an a minus. Um, I will say there was some sloppiness a little bit here and there, you know, some spots. I wasn't huge on the orange Cassidy Luther, uh, match because I thought maybe Miro would get involved afterwards and kind of extend that, that storyline a little bit or, or you know grow that storyline didn't happen so I was like okay that was just kind of random then um, so there's a few things to why I did, I'm not giving it an A or possibly even an A plus but I will give it an A minus really enjoyed it thought it was a fun dynamite like I normally do who's your AW wrestler of the week well mine is uh, mine's not a wrestler this week Mine is negative one. Interesting. Um, just because he's so anxious to get in there, he's following in his dad's footsteps, but yet he's setting a different tone. He's being like his dad to an extent, but yet he's kind of already made his own character in negative one. He's figured out who negative one is, and I look forward to seeing negative one grow. This was a tough one for me. A lot of people I could pick, but a lot of them were tag team-based matches, so it's kind of hard to pick. I'm going with the returning Rio as my superstar of the week. I am going with a female. Yep, I was going to pull for Rio, but then I just I couldn't get over negative one and how excited he was, but yet how anxious he was to get into that ring. So I can definitely agree with Rio. I thought her match against Rio D was one of their better women's matches they've had. I, I really like the work of both ladies and Serena Deeb, uh, she was selling those Rio punches. Rio's only what 96, 98 pounds. Yeah, didn't hit that, like that hard, and but she was snapping the neck back and making it look really realistic. So uh, she she's good, man. The, that was a good talent they got away from. Uh, um, mm-hmm. 
Well, I was going to say NWA, but she is the, the NWA Women's Champion, but she is signed yeah. with AEW. So, yep. So that that's going to do it for this week's episode. But uh, before we let you go, uh, please give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Kicking Out Pod. Please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five star rating and review. That really helps us out. And subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels. You can get all these episodes in for full video form on both those channels. So please check those out and any closing thoughts, Paul, as you wrap it up. Looking forward to, uh, the road to revolution. Absolutely. Uh, you got anything else real quick, Tanner? Nope. All right. And with that for Tanner Lee, I'm Paul Zarbin. Join us next week as we kick out yet another podcast. <laughs>